So I had an interesting conversation with an investor about, I think, a month ago. And they were saying something like, you know, there are a lot of hammers and not enough nails. <laughs> and I and I would tend to agree with that. I mean, I don't think that, you know, there's really a problem with kind of the volume of innovation. In many ways, it's great. We absolutely love seeing these new technologies. Mm-hmm. The difference is they're rarely taking, you know, they're rarely designed with the end consumer in mind, you know, whether that's a patient, whether that's an everyday Mm. consumer. And it's really important to keep that kind of at the heart of what you're doing. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions, and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics? They talk, we listen. Can you imagine getting into a business or a market where you actually spend a hundred billion plus on a piece of paper. Are you kidding me? It was like a frying pan of the head. I got nothing against CFOs. It was not just the job of a lifetime, it was the job of a thousand lifetimes. My guest today is a C-suite with a passion for neurotechnology. She's a financial and marketing expert with extensive investment experience. She has spent over a decade knowledge building across various industries in Fortune 500 companies and investment funds. We continue the new series on Heads Talk today with a conversation about investment in neurotechnology and its developments to date. But before we get into that, here's a brief message. U.S. Private Capital Forum Go Real 2023 launched now with on-demand sessions offering attendees the utmost flexibility to access industry-specific content and deals on their terms. It will bring together over 100 speakers from across Europe over a broad agenda covering private equity, venture capital, real estate and private debt. For details, visit www.eurosforum.org. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Radhika Gupta is the Chief Operating Officer of NTX Services, an organization that specializes in neurotechnology. NTX Services has an exclusive relationship with Neurotech X, the largest international neurotechnology community to provide consulting and recruiting services. Radhika will elaborate on this further in this episode. Throughout her career, Radhika has developed expertise in investments, evaluation, marketing, sales and operations across a wide variety of developed and emerging countries. Prior to joining NTX Services, she worked as a buy-side investment professional at a $200 billion Canadian investment fund, evaluating companies as potential investment targets for an approximate $1 billion Canadian dollars portfolio. Radhika is a CFA chartered holder and has intentionally pursued education across various disciplines in business through an MBA in finance at McGrill University and a BCom in marketing at UBC. This she did in order to develop a holistic approach to her work. Let's now have a conversation. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Radhika to this new series on Heads Talk. Delighted to have you here today. Yeah, thank you, Elaine. Thank you for reaching out to us. Uh, We're always excited to talk about neurotechnology and, you know, kind of extend the conversation beyond circles that are already familiar with it. So this is, this is very interesting for me. 
it's it's very exciting for me. It's a new series, and I'm really sort of slowly getting into this. Okay, I, I briefly mentioned it in the introduction, but for my listeners and in your own words, please provide a brief introduction to your organisation. What exactly do you do? And also, if you can, at the end, elaborate on your role. Sure. So NTX Services is a one-stop shop for startups and scale-ups in the neurotechnology industry specifically. So this industry covers different solutions that are related to the brain and central nervous system, Mm -hmm. typically through or software solutions, although there are some, you know, traditional wet neuroscience applications as well. We work with clients on a variety of technologies from light digital therapeutic solutions. Mm -hmm. So this is, let's say, you know, the gamified solutions that that claim to improve an individual's cognitive function, et cetera, Mm -hmm. to complex implantable solutions. So the most well-known company in that implantable space today is likely Elon Musk's Neuralink, which has mm-hmm. developed a novel method and system to implant their own electrode into people's brain. Overall, neurotechnology can cover diagnostics, monitoring, treatment, but also prevention and overall wellness of conditions related to the nervous system and or mental health. Now, as we know, these conditions can widely vary as some companies are focused on restoring sensory functions such as sight and hearing, while yet others are focused on neurodegenerative conditions such as Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. And then you have many others that are focused on mental health and wellness, therefore addressing conditions like depression, anxiety, PTSD, but also stress, essentially impacting a significant portion of the human population. So for us, as a platform for these neurotech companies, we naturally also interact with other ecosystem players. So like like strategic players, so let's say pharma or a medtech company, and investors as well, which are focused on neurotechnology as they are looking to expand the opportunities available to mm-hmm. them and to mm-hmm. keep pace with changing consumer behavior. Mm-hmm. Okay. And your role? Uh, Sure. So I actually, what's interesting is I left my previous role and joined NTX services largely due to all reasons. So for example, in 20, you know, when I first joined, what had happened is that I had a family member pass away due to, you know, due to a condition in, in his, in his brain. I, don't necessarily want to go into the details of it, but needless to say, that was really eye-opening. It also made me think a lot about the current standard of care and access to novel technology. I also started thinking about how I could kind of help these companies commercialize faster, right? Mm -hmm. Not being a scientist, I had to leverage the skill set that I had to to help these companies as much as possible. I joined NTX Services at a very early stage. I joined the executive team and I'm now currently co-managing the firm with the objective of accelerating companies in neurotechnology so that patients get access to this technology faster than they normally would have. So typically at NTX Services, my job title is COO. What that means is that I do all of the dirty work and uh, yeah, you know, things like managing each project, making sure that there's a structuring the plan based on our conversation with the clients, 
getting a sense of exactly what what the needs are, finding the right experts to work on it, mm-hmm. assigning roles among the team, et cetera. So that's on the consulting side. But then I also help with things like our own marketing. So that's mm-hmm. under me, although I don't execute on it per se. And then I also help with, you know, normal, you know, HR functions such Mm -hmm. as taking hiring decisions and decisions on vendors who are our suppliers as well. So so it's a good decision for you then to move to NTX services? Yes, I, I really love the challenge of growing a new company, especially a company that helps so many others develop their own exciting new technology. But it's, it's. Well, it's different. It's 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 very different to what I was doing before in the sense that it's so the the last organization I worked at was much, much larger. So it's 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 fascinating having to kind of shift that complexity into, you know, a much smaller organization mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and to kind of help these companies, you know, grow over time. Well, it, it's a it, it's a fairly new business. It's a fairly new area, sort of neurotech. So this is going to grow. So you're probably going to be one of the pioneers in all of this. So hold on, so to speak. <laughs> okay. So so you provide sort of in terms of NTX the services that you do. You provide a sort of a three hundred and sixty degree holistic mm-hmm. service to a number of bodies, from you know corporations to academics. You, you call yourself a, a one stop shop venture builder. So would you like to give my listeners a couple use cases that your organization was, and and in some cases still involved with? I read a few, and I was fascinated by them. And I think it would be good for my listeners to hear about some of the actual deliverables. You know, for example, the the implantable company based in Switzerland, because I'm based in Switzerland, that one sort of stuck with me, that sought your help to to perform a a sort of a, a thorough competitive review. That or any other examples, if you can, if you can give us some use cases, that'd be great. Sure. Since you since you started with that, that's what I'll I'll talk about. What I like about this example is that this is really a project where we, as NTX Services, provided support through our client, through both our deep internal expertise, so our internal team, but also by onboarding external partners from our network of experts. Yeah. So effectively, at, at as you said, there was a an implantable company based out mm-hmm. of Switzerland. You know, as fa- that came to us, essentially asking for help with a thorough competitor review, mm-hmm. uh, paired with a, um, you know, a series of patient interviews, which were led by our partner organization, Neurotech Network, mm-hmm. which is headed by Jennifer French. Mm-hmm. Essentially, the goal was really for the company to understand both the target condition they were trying to treat really from the patient perspective and Mm -hmm. also to understand better what are really the competitive solutions in that space. Mm -hmm. So effectively how that panned out is, you know, what's interesting about us being connected to Neurotech X is that we're really able to source and find the right, uh-huh. you know, for a very niche projects, right? Just from having kind of that wide bench of talent. Uh-huh. So what we did essentially was structure a competitive review. We found a brilliant scientist who had kind of done some work on multiple areas of neurotech agrotech. Her background was really at the Baylor College of Medicine as well. We brought her on the team. We essentially looked 
you know, we looked over, I believe it was close to 15 different competitors for that company, mm-hmm. narrowed it down to identifying the very specific direct comparables. Yeah. And we also essentially had had an extensive section where we looked at, you know, how, you know, all of the new solutions developed in labs today are, you know, are essentially could either become partners or prospective competitors over time. I think the the piece that I really was excited about for this project is that we also kind of mapped out for this specific condition they were targeting we mapped out the entire kind of journey that the patient goes through for the specific condition they were treating. And the reason we did that is essentially to help them identify really when should I start educating the patient that my solution is available to them, right? Because, you know, for a surgical solution, like an implantable, as you can imagine for a patient, uh, they're less likely to go for it the first time they hear about it. So you really have to kind of start educating them about the safety, the efficacy, and any potential risks really early on in the patient journey. Right. That's that's quite interesting. And I'm assuming sort of this implantable company, when they requested this competitive review, were they surprised by the numbers that you found in terms of what would be classed as competitive? I think they were surprised, not necessarily by the number of competitors per se. I think they were surprised by how many were looking at the specific condition that they were looking mm, at. Okay, yes. It's worth mentioning that with competitive analysis, the devil in this industry is really in the details. Because typically a given condition, let's take depression, for example, can have many subconditions and levels of severities. So for example, depression can have treatment-resistant depression, situational depression, et cetera. Um, In that regard, it's really key to understand which competitor addresses which specific patient group to understand what unsolved problem our client could actually solve. And and I think the other thing that they were probably interested in understanding was really, as I said, kind of the points in the in the patient journey that would be relevant for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Have you got another use case you'd like to share, and maybe a particular favorite one? Yeah, I think if we're talking about a favorite one, this one is really really interesting because it led to so you know so many more potential collaborations you know, over years, effectively, there was a, you know, kind of a EEG headband company based out of Singapore that approached us essentially trying to understand their their overall strategy first on which use cases they should target. So for example, should they target wellness, you know, mm-hmm. mild cognitive decline or, um, you know, other, you know, let's say a few other indications. Mm-hmm. So we looked across, I think we looked at across four different areas with about, let's say, you know, about eight sub indications for them, yep. essentially helping them trying to map out which use case is likely to be most interesting to develop in-house and which ones can be developed with a partner. Then we essentially looked across, I think it was, you know, forgive me if the number is not exact, but I believe we looked across something like eight different markets for them to enter. 
mm-hmm. and on and kind of evaluated them on which market would be most attractive for their solution. Mm-hmm. Thereafter, we also essentially planned out, you know, what the optimal distribution strategy would be in each market. Mm-hmm. So we essentially really kind of helped them understand kind of the optimal market entry strategy for all of these different geographies. And finally, I think what we did was have, you know, we collaborated with the with the team often and we essentially helped them create a, a proper valuation model for for their company. This was particularly interesting to the founder. This was his, I think, his second company. So he was not, you know, a first time founder. And he, you know, what he said was that he found it a very compelling discussion on valuation. He was he was actually able to, you know, have a concrete discussion mm-hmm. on value on valuation based on achievement of actual business objectives. Okay, no, that's good. That's a good result. Okay, so so I'm I'm a startup. I've got a great neurotech product, and I want your help on you know bagging the right investor, sort of getting a commercialization grant or, or just obtain the right funds. Briefly, and briefly if you can, because I know there's a lot of work that goes behind it. But briefly if you can, because there's a few more questions to ask you. What do you do? So if a startup comes to us asking to raise funds right now, mm-hmm. what we typically do is focus on helping them get ready by preparing the right deliverables, right? Mm-hmm. So essentially prepping the data room. So essentially what we help them do is put together, you know, all of the elements that would go into data into a data room, such as kind of, you know, the entire body of proof supporting the efficacy of their solution. We help them, you know, kind of modify their pitch Mm -hmm. deck. We help them put together kind of a body of knowledge on the consumer behavior, in most cases, patient behavior. Mm -hmm. And we also help them by kind of looking at their IP strategy. Mm -hmm. We help them by either reviewing if they've already done it, or in many cases, actually recommending a high level regulatory strategy and or reimbursement strategy mm-hmm. um, and of course translating all of that into a financial model overall we ensure that any company we support has a very clear strategic path and roadmap that both highlights their strengths and ensures that an optimal path is taken to commercializing their unique solutions mm. we so, so I guess you didn't get to it, but I I will probably tell you what's going on. We are also actually currently applying for the right financial license so that we can, you know, kind of take this even further and actually help companies kind of broker deals with prospective investors by, you know, by actually facilitating introductions by you know participating in other because kinds of transactions that's where you would come into your own because that sort of fits nicely yes. in the area of your skill set so exactly that, that's exactly. quite exciting for you there exactly but i think it's really important to mention that we bring an interdisciplinary approach to solving problems for companies so for example um, my business partner and ceo he has a background in strategy and finance and investments as well we have a senior member on our team who has expertise in product development and has, in fact, led an R&D company for seven years. 
And um, the junior members of our team all have uh, scientific backgrounds. So we really tried to create this marriage between business and science so we can showcase each company to the best of its ability. Okay, hold that thought because I'm going to be asking you about the future of NTX services. But but for now, let's continue with you know the work that you're doing. It's very interesting in that you consult, you advise, and you find resources for neurotech organizations. So by that very nature of what you do, you must be you literally must be at the pulse of what the current trends are in this sector. You work internationally and, and provide services in various countries across the globe. Give my listeners a, a sense of the, the growth in neurotech in the last two to five years. I say that as opposed to 10 years, because I'm sure it's sort of exponentially grown in that sort of space, but correct me if I'm wrong. You know, give us a sense of the ecosystem and perhaps do a comparison with the different countries that you provide services to. Sure. So I think, that, I mean, as in the past, the US, the US has really been kind of the you know, the home base mm-hmm. for a lot of these startups. Mm-hmm. And that's a combination that's largely viewed. So about 50% of the startups in the space are in the US. Mm-hmm. A lot of the well-known companies such as Neuralink, Precision, BlackRock, et cetera, are all US-based, right? Mm-hmm. And there's many reasons for that. Of course, it's the strength of the research institutions, but it's also the extremely attractive funding environment in the country, right? I do think, though, as we have seen with the semiconductor and automotive industries, there's a real opportunity for leapfrogging, particularly as many, many startups that we have reviewed, notably in Asia and Europe, Mm -hmm. they have projects that are actually quite advanced scientifically, but naturally have not managed to attract, you know, the kind of funding that they really need. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, if we think about, you know, the kinds of solutions that are developed, there's really a plethora, right? So you have really a spectrum from, let's say, a completely light software-based solution. So let's say something that's delivering automated CBT to a non-invasive solution that involves a wearable. So let's say mm-hmm. a traditional electroencephalography headband. So which which is essentially a headband that a wearable that reads your your brain waves and depending on the quality of the software, presumably provides insights into into your focus, attention, mm-hmm. etc. To let's say invasive solutions. Now I think what's sexy and well known are the brain implantables, right? So this yeah. is where you're thinking about something that's Neuralink-esque, where you put an implant in your brain. But in the invasive space, there's actually a lot of interesting work being done on, let's say, vagus nerve stimulation, mm-hmm. right? Which does not involve, you know, a brain implant. There's also tremendous progress being made on spinal cord implants. In particular, actually, a, a European company onward is really at the at, you know the forefront of this effort. Um, you know, maybe in terms of commercialization for you know restoring movement, etc., they may they may well be one of the first to to achieve this. So yeah, there's a variety. People, I mean, most of the startups tend to be focused on movement or physiological disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I believe that is, you know, internally, we've been talking about it. And I think that that's largely because it's easier to identify the physiology in the brain, right? That mm-hmm. is associated with it. And there's a clear yes or no, you know, the, you know, action associated. There are also more complex that are being worked on. I don't think they're fully developed. Mm-hmm. So let's say mental health conditions like depression, et cetera, which are really a spectrum are still yeah. being worked on. Mm-hmm. What I am excited to see is kind of see how these solutions will actually perform in the market. So, mm-hmm. so a few months ago, Abbott actually announced that they launched a deep brain. They have had the breakthrough device designation mm-hmm. uh, in the U.S., for a deep brain stimulation for depression in particular. I love that it's a, you know, it's a large company that's public that's doing this because yeah. we will actually be able to see how it performs on the market. Right. You know, what's interesting is that when, when you're talking about these from startups to established companies and all the innovation, it's heavily, if not predominantly on the health side of the subcategory in newer technology, there's very little on performance and social. And I'm I'm assuming that's really where the market is. I think that that's where a lot of the successes have been. I think, you know, so where, what, I don't want to pretend that that is the whole market because it is very much not. So you do have non-medical use cases such as, you know, neuromarketing, you do have use cases of consumer products such as Wiser in France, which is, you know, which has developed earphones mm-hmm. that can be manipulated simply by chewing. Uh, you have players like Dream it's, and Muse in Canada as well mm-hmm. that are very consumer focused. I think it's also important to remember that Dream which is a sleep company in neurotech, is now mainly focused on B2B, um, proving how difficult it is to sell directly to consumers. I think, though, what is very challenging for a consumer play in there is that, one, it's extremely expensive to sell to consumers, we were seeing different trends, you know, from like selling through a distributor like Best Buy versus direct selling. But the consumer acquisition costs do tend to be quite high. And then it also comes with a whole can of worms around privacy issues, etc. Now, and then the other thing is, because you're reading someone's brain and presumably offering insights, but it's not regulated in any way. It's really important to be careful about the claims that you make, right? Mm-hmm. So for example, it, let's say you're building a game solution and you're saying, hey, consumer, I'm going to help you get smarter or be able to focus better. <laughs> it's really important to demonstrate that it's really, you know, it's more effective than the entire universe of solutions available. To I won't name names, but one of the companies we've seen did not end up being more effective than a cup of coffee and therefore failed, right? <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. As a side, you know, in, in doing my research, I'm looking at these things. As a side, are you finding that there, there is a saturation and overflow of inventions in the health and even in the performance arm 
of newer technology? So I think that there are close, so we've been tracking kind of the patents and the growth in patents has really been exponential in this field, right? Mm -hmm. And so there are a lot of statute, a lot, I don't know, I wouldn't say saturated. It's more that, so I had an interesting conversation with an investor about, I think a month ago, and they were saying something like, you know, there are a lot of hammers and not enough nails. <laughs> and I and I would tend to agree with that. I mean, I don't think that, you know, there's really a problem with kind of the volume of innovation. In many ways, it's great. We absolutely love seeing these new technologies. Mm-hmm. The difference is they're rarely taking, you know, they're rarely designed with the end consumer in mind, you know, whether that's a patient, whether that's an everyday mm. consumer. And it's really important to keep that kind of at the heart of what you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, think um, so. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. And, and I think you, you also talked about what excites you about what's happening in this space. So do you want to add any more to that? Yeah, there's 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 quite a bit that's exciting to me in particular. I think that so for example, there are companies that are, you have invasive, comp- you have implantable companies right now that are saying they can focus on translating your thought to text, which would be a tremendous step up for a, you know, let's say an individual with paralysis, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. I think even more than that, the portion that's truly fascinating to me are the non-invasive companies that are working on, you know, on essentially translating your thought to text, right? Because that's, that's kind of how you see it. When we're thinking about mass adoption, I I really think that's an interesting way to, to think about a mass adoption of neurotech, right? You know, it's just an easier sell. But can, can you give me an example of this? Yes. So by combining multiple non-invasive technologies such as augmented reality or AR, eye tracking, and EEG, which is a more commonly used non-invasive technique to read people's brain signals, some companies, uh, and some of our clients are on this list, are actually developing solutions which can support a restoration of communication for non-verbal individuals. So that's one. The other one that's super interesting to me is the idea on the consumer side because we have talked quite a bit about the medical, is really kind of adaptive entertainment. This is not, you know, necessarily fully developed yet, actually. But a few a few months ago, I was sitting in an experiment where as as a subject, right? So where they where they essentially were able to adapt film content based on how, my, how they perceived my mood by reading my brainwaves through a head. And when we think about kind of the future of personalized content, I think that's really, um, you know, that's that's really an, a, an exciting domain to explore. Yeah, that is the next step of personalization. Okay, this is, I think, is a fun bit of the episode where I ask guest questions provided by listeners of the podcast. So we, we've called it now the, the Foresight Quiz. It would be great if you can answer with either A, in the near future, B, in the far future, C, it's already here, D, I don't know, and or E, impossible. So near, far, it's already here, 
I don't know, or impossible. And also, it would be great if you can elaborate on your answer for clarity. In, a, in some ways, I think you've answered one or two of them, half, but I'll still put them through to you. And then, you know, if it's a repeat, we will remove that. So, so based on your experience with startups, entrepreneurs, the newer tech ecosystem, the work you've been doing with your clients, your knowledge generally, I'd like you to answer the following. And you've kind of answered that one, but I'm still going to put it because it's a listener's question, so I have to put these through. How close are you to brain implants to help paralyzed people gain full motion again? Yeah, I saw that. I saw that question in you because because everyone really asked it, right? Yeah. I think in the near future. So I'm I'm going to be coy and say it's not as close as some companies would have you believe, <laughs> but it's not as far as right. um, you know. Let's say the everyday person would believe. Oh, um, sorry, sorry. So it's A rather than B. I would say it's in the near future versus in the far future. Essentially, I think uh, possibly within the decade. Oh, wow. Now, with all of that said, I do have to say that the answer is a bit of a mix of the options A and B. Essentially, I think it really depends on how we define full motion. Are we thinking about walking and moving again, although with some difficulty? or running like you used to on your best days? The answer really depends on kind of the end goal and our definition of full motion. Okay, that'll be fantastic for so many paralyzed individuals. Okay, right, the second question, can your thoughts, you've talked about that, can your thoughts or dreams be translated for others to see, albeit in text form? This is a similar question to another question. So I'm putting these two questions together and um, where someone asked, will, I'm reading it, will we eventually have tech that can pull data out of the brain? You have sort of talked a bit about it. So is it near, far, already? I don't know, impossible. Which one? I think for the first scenario about reading thoughts and brains, Possibly in the very far future. We're really, really early here. I mean, I, at, at least to the best of my knowledge, I have not necessarily seen or heard of projects where they're able to cohesively, you know, read a series of complex thoughts mm -hmm. today. Okay. Okay. I'm thinking, imagine, imagine being able to read someone's dream while they're having it or, or see a, vi a vision of their dream while they're having it. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I think where it gets complex is that they're really not able to, I, I think they're really not able to focus so much on translating one-on-one -on -one thoughts even just a text, right? Even, mm -hmm. even with that, it, it is very challenging. Look, there are not that many companies, but some like Meta and their research partners, as well as Synchron, have made some great progress in decoding brain signals to determine intended speech. Mm -hmm. But there's also, you know, there was a Russian publication as well that was able to do it, but only with a series of nine words. And, mm -hmm. you know, the subjects were heavily trained. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's the beginning. And so it's not an E, which is impossible, but it's probably in the far future, you're saying. Yes, in the very far future. In the very far future. <laughs> My goodness. Okay. And, and, and the final one in, in this, the foresight quiz. I think this one, this person has watched quite a bit of Star Trek, but let's let me give you the question. Are we getting to the stage, or to a stage, sorry, where in order to beat machines, we have to, to a degree, merge with them. I think that's 
that meme that went around for a couple of weeks ago. I'm not sure who's yeah. seen it. It's that AI prediction of evolution. What, what do you say about yeah. that? It's so funny when when I hear these, you know, these, let's say, I'm some of them may be founded, but fears of competing with technology. I think that I have also heard, you know, a different scenario, right, where they essentially see the advent of AI, et cetera, yeah. as prospectively a friend for humans, right? Largely because it would very similar to how, let's say, other technological innovations kind of reduced the workload on humans. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, essentially would I mean, I see it more as a way to kind of reduce the the burden on the human worker, right? I mean, I, I don't know. I think Europe is a lot better for work-life balance, but mm-hmm. I know, let's say that the average American gets only two weeks of vacation a year, if that, and, you know, spends close to 60 hours working. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, can you imagine if the nature of the work shifted and let's say you know a reasonable ai was able to essentially do part of your task so you could focus on higher level thinking mm-hmm. i i do think that's also an alternate scenario but in terms of do we need to merge with machines to compete i think the answer is that we're already merged with machines to a large extent i mean i don't know about you elaine i have spent close to 9 hours on my smartphone <laughs> 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 okay, so we're loosely merged to our machines. Yeah, but uh, but I assume they they mean whoever it is. Oh, okay, what their name? Assume they mean that we will have pieces of machinery or pieces mm. of tech within our bodies as part of living. Yeah, I I think that yes, I think that that is feasible. I don't think that we will need to do it. I don't think it's an imperative to compete, but I do think that it's feasible. And that's largely because humans are continually interested in enhancing themselves, right? Whether physically or mentally, you know, and and there's a spectrum, right? So it can be something as light as, you know, uh, a small small implant on the wrist, or it could be something as as complex as a brain implant, right? It just depends on the objectives, goals, and priorities of the individual. So some non-neurotech implants exist today for everyday life and not for medical purposes. So one example is people having wrist implants in which they can upload information. So let's say their work access card or their house keys, allowing them to open doors by just flicking their wrists. For us, however, this begs the question, is this necessary or more of a gadget? All right. <laughs> yes. So I, I wouldn't put that in health. I assume that's in the performance area in terms of neurotechnology. <laughs> yeah, I don't believe. It. Yeah. I, I, yeah. So I, I, I mean, it, I think it just depends on what an individual's, you know, the end. Con- so that's when I, that's why I said it really is important to understand the end consumer first. Right. Because people do have different, you know, different priorities. Yes. Okay, that's an interesting one. Okay, you know, in our in our back and forth before this episode recording, you mentioned a couple of topics that we could discuss. The one that interests me the most, and you know, 
it most needs a full almost needs a full episode to cover this that is the the shifting regulatory landscape that you talked about what is happening there because based on what you've talked about already and and my imagination i'm imagining a sort of a legal minefield sort of a compliance hell and regulations stifling startups entrepreneurs and corporations you know can, can you give my listeners a sense of what's going on there and, and what are the challenges um, sure so again i don't know if it's if it's stifling yet, given that the regulations are still nascent. I, on the consumer side, I do think there is already some sort of existing press, you know, on on, mm-hmm. on privacy, on monitoring, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So for example, if we're talking about Europe, because I do want to keep, you know, the conversation kind of focused on, you know, on Europe, given that you're in Switzerland, there is already an existing framework or precedent for biometric data, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I, and I believe that, you know, an intelligent company in this space focused on consumers would kind of use that as a precedent to kind of plan their, their pathway. So there's there's privacy. Then the other issue, because you're really dealing with brain data, I, as I said, you cannot read someone's thoughts yet, but you could possibly identify whether they have they're at risk for you know for certain health conditions, et cetera. So I mean, you I mean there there's still cybersecurity still becomes fairly important because you want to protect the end consumer. And ensure that the whole world, you know, does not find out all of a sudden that, my God, this individual is suffer is at risk of Alzheimer's down the road, for example, right? Mm-hmm. It would it would be damaging for the individual. Yeah. And then, yeah, and I think the, yeah, that's on the consumer side. On the healthcare side, there's a fair bit of, you know, sh- there is a very big shift in the regulatory landscape. Mm-hmm. And I think, so the the higher risk devices, so anything that's invasive has always been heavily regulated. Mm-hmm. I think what is changing is that even the lower risk devices, so let's say software solutions as mm-hmm. a medical device are being held to a higher standard. I think people have realized and are not, you know, and are not comfortable being sold kind of snake oil, as you will, mm-hmm. of solutions that claim to deliver certain benefits without proof of, you know, safety and efficacy. And I think that regulators around the world are really, at least on the on the software as a medical device in particular, making an attempt at kind of harmonizing the regulations as much as possible, right? So, so that is, that is one aspect of it on the higher risk devices. So let's say implantable solutions, et cetera. I do think what is interesting and possibly a challenge for many of these companies is that, you know, a a few things. So first that, so the FDA is starting to publish guidelines on implantables, et cetera, but there are also big indications that they have rated as a higher risk. So just by design, if you pursue that disease or condition, you will have to go through a more expensive, a more longer, more difficult pathway. And that's really because their priority, and rightly so, is to protect patients, right? Mm. I don't want you to answer this question, but I, while you were talking about this, I was just thinking about in terms of insurance companies and them getting that data on you. And I can imagine the, the problems there. 
Okay, let, let's let's move on. That's another topic, I suppose. You know, neurotechnology is all about restoration or ensuring optimal performance and capacity of the brain. Like with all technological developments, is there anything that really concerns you going forward? I think I have a few things. So on the health side, and I think this is really important because a lot of companies and startups do make this claim. The general claim is that there are, quote, no side effects relative to, uh, you know, let's say drugs or, Mm -hmm. you know, the other standard of care. I think it's really, I mean, I think that is yet to be seen. We need, I think we need information from kind of long-term observational studies before we're able to intelligently say whether there are side effects or not. Anecdotally, my understanding is that um, I have heard different stories from people who have actually had implants. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for example, one individual said that it did affect their personality. On the other mm-hmm. hand, there are actually publications that suggest it does not. So that that is something on the health side that I'm concerned about, this idea of side. On the consumer side, I think what I'm most concerned about is, I think we've already really talked about this. If, you know, if you could buy whether an individual is at risk of a certain disease, you know, what are you know, what are the chances that, you know, there would be, let's say, any kind of um, discrimination either by an employer or an insurance company or et cetera to kind of prevent them access. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do think that's something to be aware of. But, you know, given that all of this is happening, what is very, very positive about this industry is that they're extremely focused on neuroethics, let's say, well-established, given that the industry is young, companies have, you know, let's say either a department or an individual focused on neuroethics. They also, you know, some of them, some of the best ones also have, you know, a patient or an individual who actually has the condition on board to kind of guide the design process. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm not claiming that it is at the same scale or, you know, of a farm of a traditional pharma company, which does this, you know, on an organized manner, but it's definitely, definitely being done. Mm-hmm. Okay. And just as a, another side question, we might remove that, but it's just appeared on the top of my head and I want to get it out to you. Do you find that later down the line, note, I haven't formulated this question in my head properly. Do you think there's going to be a battle with the pharmaceutical industry as well as the the biotech neurotech industry and that perhaps the pharmaceutical industry in some sense would be surplus to requirement or obsolete based on the biotechnology that's been developed and rolled out on a commercial basis yeah so i i think something to keep in mind is that um you know the nature of the healthcare industry is very different from the nature of let's say traditional tech etc So the way we have to think about competition is also a little different. So, and and that's actually related to how human biology works. So for example, even the best solutions out there today really only work on, let's say, 75 to 80% of the population. In addition, even if you have a very efficacious solution, you still have to get a medical professional to prescribe it. 
And that involves like a really complex and expensive sales and marketing distribution network, which is very expensive to build. So, you know, unlike other industries, if you look at kind of the healthcare industry today, it is already quite, it is already more fragmented than others. So I don't think that there is going to be a war per se, where there is there are only winners and losers. I think what is more likely to happen is that there are likely to be increasing collaborations and partnerships, actually. And I mean, you see that evidence in, you know, in more mature segments, let's say pharma companies, when developing novel solutions, often partner with each other. Mm. So I, I think it, it's quite a different environment to, let's say, traditional tech by design. Right. OK, thanks for answering that one. Right. Let's end this episode of Ed's Talk and, and look to the future. So what plans do you have for NTX services? I know you mentioned something earlier, but what, what plans are the plans do you have? So as we're thinking of improving options to to companies as really a platform, we may look into other models and other geographies to expand into where we can actually, you know, have have uh, startups kind of approach us on a local basis and then grow through through us. So I think the other thing worth mentioning is that we are currently using for ourselves as well. Mm -hmm. And that's largely because, you know, you always expect things to go, you know, south, but sometimes they go well and essentially additional investments as we are, in fact, revenue generating. But we would need to, you know, put uh, make a few select investments to kind of achieve, let's say, a faster trajectory of growth. Radhika Gupta, a great conversation today. Many thanks for your time and insights. Yeah, thank you so much, Elaine. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.